As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it, and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome again to another edition of Second Chance Coaching. As always, it is my pleasure to join you on another week, another successful week of your re-entry journey from whichever corner of the world you're listening from. We always remain humbled and excited that you've decided to spend some time with us and continuing to build yourself and do better and do well, start over, succeed, thrive in your re-entry journey, and, and you've chosen us to do it with you. I want to apologize for coming on the air so late for our final broadcast week uh, prior to the midseason break. But um, I wanted to share with everyone that we had some f- sad family news this week. Our, our family dog, Fiona, passed away this past Monday from old age. But she had, a, she had a great run as she lived and was with our family for 17 and a half years. You know, you know, for those of you who own a cat or a dog, you already know that when you have them, even for a short time, they become a member of the family. And, you know, I want to also share this in addition, you know, if the perspective of dog years is taken into consideration, like I said, Fiona lived for 17 and a half years. The first year of a medium-sized dog, you know, Fiona was a medium-sized dog. That is the equivalent of 15 human years. And in the dog's second year, it's the equivalent of nine human years. And then for every one human year, that's the equivalent of five years for the dog. So if my math is correct, Fiona lived the equivalent of 72 and a half human years. You know, when uh, Fiona, as we affectionately called her Fifi, first came to live at our home, at my mother's home, she was adjusting naturally, and she was just afraid of every sound. Like if you walked by or if a door closed or doorbell rang, she would just be afraid of any sound. And and I, in addition, she wouldn't eat in front of any of us if we were in the room with her. But eventually she got used to us and, and knew she was comfortable with us and the love grew and and, you know, she became comfortable in our home. And then it eventually became her home, too. You know, funny enough, I remember Fifi would um, would push my bedroom door open in the morning, almost every morning, so I could walk her or let her run loose in mom's backyard. I, there were times that, you know, you know how it is, those of us who have, who have dogs, you know, I would 
be tired and I would pretend I was sleeping. And, you know, Fifi was so smart. She would just come to, she would just come to the side of my bed where I was sleeping, where my face was, face was uh, pointing and she would just stare at me or she would bark or make a little noise or lick my face you know, to try to wake me up. And, and then of course, if I was really stubborn or thought I could outsmart her, you know, I would just sit there and still pretend like, you know, I was tossing and turning, like I really wasn't awake. So Fifi would pick up quick and said, okay, you're trying to be slick. She would then jump on the, on the small couch that was next to my bed and then use that to propel herself to jump, um, on my bed. She would have a clear, clear, easy jump on my bed. And then with her mouth, she would pull the covers off my head. <laughs> she definitely wasn't stupid. She made sure she was going to get her fresh air time out of me, and I was going to be the one to do it. Over the years, Fifi was always, always around my mother and definitely felt my mother's absence when she passed. You know, my mother loved Fifi, too, of course, and she was such a good dog and, and a beloved member of our family. She will be so, so missed. You know, we love you, Fifi. And, you know, continue to run free, not be afraid of anything in heaven. You know, enjoy our, you know, in heaven, our, the two other family dogs that we had growing up, Leo and King. Enjoy mom, enjoy Nanandi, enjoy dad, and take care of them. You know, we and love them and provide that, that, that haven for them, you know, in, in, in the ultimate haven. And we'll see you. We'll see you when, when we get to that side. You know, the other sad development, which has happened this week, not this week, in the past couple of weeks, which it's happened in the world of higher education. And I'm speaking of the death by suicide of Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey on January the 8th. Dr. Candia Bailey, at the time of her death, was the vice president of student affairs at Lincoln University in Missouri. And from all accounts and through letters and emails from Dr. Candia Bailey, she was subjected to workplace bullying and harassment from the college president, Dr. John Mosley, who at the time of this podcast is currently on paid leave. And there's growing pressure for him to resign. And even more importantly, you know, this has brought attention to how, how impactful workplace bullying is and how it affects individuals and even how it disproportionately is affecting minorities and women of color. And this has really brought a lot of insight and a lot of attention to our field of higher education. And, and like I've said in previous podcasts, I'm not saying higher education is unique to this space. I'm quite sure there's a lot of, I'm quite sure other professions have workplace bullying and have unique dynamics of quote unquote hunger games dynamics that go on, but certainly having been in higher education, I see it very, very pervasively. And it saddens me that a lot of times that people will sit there and look at healthy competition and trying to advance your career as ways to be very Machiavellian. And, and that's really, really sad because I believe as a whole, as a profession, we're just better than that. And a lot of times we're not doing that. A lot, there are a lot of people that are doing better, but there are just a lot of us that are just not doing better. And in Thinking more and more about this situation, Dr. Candina's Bailey's suicide, my heart aches for really two reasons. First, the matter of her suicide. My, my heart really goes out to her and her loved ones. You know, I would never <clears throat> make any judgments against anyone 
like they're a bad person or they were not strong enough because they took their own life. I think of giving them grace and mercy and praying for their soul and hoping that they're at peace. In addition, I really also pray for their loved ones that have been left behind as they are now living with the burden of wondering what, what could they have done different to maybe prevent the suicide? Because I know they're living with that. As I've shared in previous podcast podcast episodes, my father committed suicide. That's what he died from. And I could tell, you know, even as a young kid, I could tell in the last year or year and a half of his life, I could tell that my dad was dealing with mental health challenges. And But even looking back as being that 13-year-old kid, I, I, st- I carried the burden of thinking I could have said something. I could have done something. I could have extended my love to him. I could have hugged him more. I could have behaved better. There was something that I I took on the burden at 13 when it happened, that there's something I could have done to prevent his suicide. There's something I could have done to convince my father to not leave us, for him to know that we loved him, that life would be better with him than without him. There was something that could have been done, that could have been done. I could have done something. I held that guilt and I held that held that burden for so long, and I didn't come to peace with that really until thirty years, thirty years after his death. The second thing is, is really thinking of the nastiness of workplace bullying and harassment. I survived workplace bullying and harassment. There was a time. I would have said I was a victim of bullying and harassment. But as a victim, I was not at peace. And the grievance would practically eat me alive because I was looking for peace in really talking through it, talking about it, or talking about it in an unhealthy way. And when I mean in an unhealthy way, I would talk, you know, sometimes I would talk about it to folks that really couldn't do nothing about it. And maybe they were just interested in just gossiping. And, they, and, and I was looking for healing in places that no healing could take place. But when I made the decision to look for that healing, to exercise that self-care, to look at counseling, I can now say that I'm a proud survivor of workplace bullying and harassment. And even though I'm a survivor of it, it doesn't mean it can't happen again. It doesn't mean it can't happen again, either at my workplace or any other workplace or any other dynamic here at the Condo Association. We'll talk about that on another episode. But right now, at my workplace, at the college, they're still perpetrated. The perpetrators of my workplace bullying are still there. They still work all over the college. Even as close as one of the perpetrators of that workplace bullying offending literally has an office directly across from mine in my current department where I work in right now, they are directly across from me. But even the perpetrators of that workplace bullying, some of which who I know troll this podcast, just to hear what I'll say, just to see what I'll do. And I know who they are. I know that they do it. But I will say, my message to them is very clear. And I say, and I'll say this to them now, I'll say this to them if they decide to sit there and speak to me about it. And and my message to them is this. You did not kill me. You did not destroy me. And now I live a great, great, fruitful professional life. And I'm living well in so many different aspects of my life. So I want to thank you 
for your hate. I want to thank you for your vitriol. I want to thank you for your for your bad intentions. I want to thank you for all of that. Because all of that helped me realize, helped me realize and continues to help me realize my unlimited greatness. Why? Because in that treatment, I forgot what I've been through. I forgot where I've come from. And I forgot where I, what I was capable of. But the God I served didn't sit there and forget that. And, the, and unfortunately for you, you didn't realize what I'm made of. And you didn't realize what I've gone through to know that I could sit there and withstand your best shot and keep coming up and keep coming for more if fighting is what you want to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to fight. just want to live. But, you know, some people are not built like that. In the, in the last department I worked in at the college before the department I worked in now, I want to sit there and say for the record, my direct team was outstanding. The people that I worked with and worked for me and my direct small team, outstanding people that I love to this very day that I still enjoy a great professional and personal relationship with. The problem was it was my direct line of supervision all the way to the top of that division that was ripe with bullying and harassment. And even many of the administrative support team and peer support team that was surrounding that department and those dynamics really was acting in concert to sabotage me, sabotage my team, just go through all the bullying stuff. You know, the, the funny thing is that there are people that, that are in that division to this very day who are still there, who, who, who spread the word, who talk about it, because I don't make a secret about how I feel. So their reaction to it is to project onto me or to say that I was the bully. Or the, or the latest narrative I always hear is, he's just a disgruntled employee. You know, people who are guilty of what it is that they did and know what it is that they did, they love to marginalize your experience and justify their behavior. You just have to be strong enough to know that, you know what? It's about them. It's not about you. Smartpension.com tells us the following about workplace harassment and bullying. Six out of 10 people have witnessed or suffered bullying in the workplace. Out of 2,000 people, most witness workplace bullying, but only 48% do anything about it, less than half. One in 20 workplace bullying incidents ends in some form of violence. And 68% of those who have been bullied say that the behavior was very subtle, such as ignoring colleagues, excluding them from, from either regular conversations or, or professional outings, just, you know, completely marginalizing them, or as like we sometimes say, canceling certain people. Also, shouting, shoving, intimidation, and even threatening behavior was all reported as part of workplace bullying. Now, along your reentry journey, along my reentry journey, you're just looking to rebuild your life. We're just re looking to rebuild our lives. And the last thing that you want to deal with, I want to deal with, is someone who's trying to rebuild their life is dealing with the juvenile bad behavior, like bullying at work. When I said before, people don't know what you're made of. Think about this. You've come home and survived incarceration. I survived it. I survived it. So don't ever forget that strength is in you. That strength is in you every day, all the time. And now 
you're going to be dealing with cowards. Because that's what they are, cowards. And I have no problem telling them that. And you should have no problem telling them that. They are cowards who cannot measure up to your resilience. They cannot measure up to you. They cannot measure up to me. They're cowards. And there's no, re there's no reason not to say that they're cowards. Because their bullying takes place in the most passive-aggressive, just cowardly type of forms. You know, sometimes they take place in the form of name-calling, as I said, ignoring or excluding, belittling, scapegoating, manipulation of, of job roles, even job security threats. I saw that. I went through that. Purposely blocking someone's progress at work. <laughs> went through that too. Setting you up to fail. Weaponizing one's knowledge to set you up for failure. Spreading rumors. Throwing meaningless tasks at you. And, 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 and participating in aggressive behavior. Any of that sound familiar? I know it does. It's there. TheMuse.com tells us that workplace bullying could certainly be overwhelming. And they identify seven ways in which you could deal with workplace bullying. Number one. Speak up early on. A lot of times, and, and in my case too, sometimes you don't even realize the bullying has taken place because sometimes, you know, like many of us, you might've been bullied in school and you think you're past that stage of life. You're thinking that in a professional environment, people are not about that life, but sometimes you don't realize it's going on and it's going on. And a lot of times what I did in the, what I did in the schoolyard is that before I actually had to stand up for myself, I would just try to brush it off and rely on the bully being tired of bullying me or, or bothering me. And I would just try to say, if I brush it off and leave it alone, they'll stop. But one thing I say for sure, whether it's in the schoolyard, whether it's in the prison yard, <laughs> or whether it's in, in the workplace, bullies don't stop on their own. They don't sit there and say, okay, you know what? I think I've had enough bullying. They stop when you demarcate it to stop and say, this is not going to be acceptable any longer. So those of us, we got to speak up and we got to speak early. Number two, I did this as well. Document the abuse and your work performance. Document dates, times as to what has happened and exactly what happened. And document who was there when it happened. And you document your, your, measurable, your measurable performance. So no one could say, oh, he's disgruntled or he doesn't sit there and work hard enough, or he's just not good enough. He couldn't handle the job. Document those things. Number three, take care of yourself outside of work. Utilize therapy. Utilize counseling. Utilize self-care. Do things that do things that are healthy and constructive and being able to say, okay, I can work through this. I can take care of myself to make sure that I am well and I am whole in going through this experience. Number four, do your research. What are the company options that are there to combat this workplace bullying? Do you have any legal options outside of work? But also think about this, because people don't like it when you stand up for yourself. They really don't. So you have to think about when you take that step to stand up for yourself and exercise options, what are going to be the repercussions behind that? Because people will clap back. What will be the consequences of you standing up for yourself? Because as much as we don't like to say that that's true, that's true. So you have to sit there and think about what's gonna, what, what's gonna, what you, what you can do, and what will happen from what you do.
Number five, talk to your manager or someone or, or, or talk to someone else if your manager is indeed the bully that you're dealing with. Speak to someone that could do something about it or that could give you good advice, not someone who's just going to absorb the gossip and then run and tell them. Number six, talk to human resources, your human resources department, or someone who has the power to put an end to it. But when you talk to your human resources department, think about it like this, and this is coming from someone who has a degree in human resources. Not only do you have to talk to your human resources, but really think about who you should talk to in HR. Make sure you talk to somebody that this is what it is that they do. Don't talk to someone in the payroll department who can't really do anything about workplace conditions. Be very strategic as to who you talk to in HR. And when you make that case to someone in HR, try to sit there as much as it's personal to you and it's a personal attack. Think about how can you make it more of a business case than a personal case. You could talk about this is getting in the way of us working with students. We're not able to sit there and do the job of the division or, or what we need to do effectively. We're not effectively servicing folks. Try to make it more of a business case in addition to making it a personal case. Because at the end of the day, they're gonna, they, HR, are going to look at what's in the best interest of the institution. They may be looking out. They may say, okay, we're looking out for you, but they're going to look out what's in the best interest of the institution. So you have to have that dual thinking mindset. Yes, what's in it for you? how to think about it better, but think about what will incentivize them to help you in making it more of a business case. And ultimately, the HR department, any HR department is always going to ask you this. At the end of the day, what do you want as the final resolution to your situation? If you're talking about that you're going through something, workplace bullying with either a colleague, a superior, or even subordinates could, 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 could contribute to workplace bullying. They're going to ask you, what do you want to finally happen? Do you want them suspended? Do you want them count? Do you want them to seek counseling? Do you want them to be terminated from their job? Do you want to be transferred somewhere? It may or may not happen what your final resolution is, but in a utopian sense, tell them, what do you want to have happen? And number seven, look for a new job. 77% of the targets of bullying situations end up leaving their job because they got fed up and quit or they ended up getting fired. I'm part of that 77%. I'm still at the same college, but I left that job in the college and I moved somewhere else in the college. I certainly believe to this day, as I sit here with you today, had I not left that job, even though that's a job I was doing well, I had a staff who respected me and we worked well together, I truly believe had I not left, my direct supervisor was eventually going to sit there and try to fire me. Absolutely, that was going to happen. And you have to, unfortunately, that last step is not a happy ending. Sometimes you have to look for a new job immediately, especially if you don't trust the organizational culture to squash the bullying swiftly and forcefully. I mean, I looked for, you know, I started in 2020 looking for a new job. And I was close a lot of times. But when I had to stay in that division and then move to another job in the division, thinking that would help a little bit, it helped a little bit in the beginning. But long term, when my new supervisor came and was hot and hired from another college, she was more interested in what she heard about me 
or what she thought was true about me than rather getting to know me. And our, and our relationship was compromised from the very start. But as I mentioned before, the resignation and realization of looking and going into a new job, listen, it's all too real in bullying situations. In my case, I was fortunate that in the current position I'm in right now, the current department that I'm in right now, I have great, outstanding departmental coworkers. Not, not um, other than the one person that that sits in the office across from me. They happen to live. They happen to live there. That's where their office is. But they report to another department, so I really don't give them too much oxygen. But in my in my department now, in the work environment I have now. I have such an outstanding supervisor, such an outstanding boss. And not only do I have an outstanding boss in them, but I also have an outstanding boss's boss, an outstanding boss's boss's boss. It's an environment that's just supportive, encouraging, it's uplifting, and continuously encouraging to for new learning and improvement and just doing better, being better, and really uplifting one another. It, it, it's a reality that I didn't think that would happen. In this, in this standpoint. And in your reentry journey, that can happen for you. I know a lot of times people get into uh, work, a workplace bullying situation along their reentry journey, and they're thinking, it, 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 it was hard enough for me to find this job. And now you're telling me step number seven is to look for a new job? Believe me, if someone gave you an opportunity, you'll get another one. You'll find another one because they saw that you were excellent in where you were at, Someone gave you an opportunity, gave you a chance, and you'll do better. You'll do fine. Believe me. Don't let don't let anyone think that just because one person gave you a chance, that's the only person that will give you a chance. That's the only organization that will give you a chance. That's the only opportunity you have. That is just not true. But along your reentry journey, you want to think about how you want to try and avoid bullying in future jobs. And here's a couple of things to think about. Number one, to avoid bullying. Do your research on who's the manager that I'll be reporting to and what what are they like? Look at their manager too. And if you can't look at their manager's manager's manager, look at that direct line of supervision you're going to work under. That's going to be the culture that you're going to be working under. Because remember, no culture could, could supersede or exceed the level of its leadership. And, num- and that goes into number two. What's your strategic plan around, within, working with, working as a part of the company culture? How will you manage the organizational culture? And number three, remember in December, we talked about determining your personal values. How do you live your core values in this dynamic? How do they show up at work in this dynamic? Will you talk about them? Do you you live by them on a regular basis? Number four, Who are the corporate heroes in the new environment you're going to? Who are the stellar people? And why are they stellar? Why are they celebrated? Why do they do well? And based on that, is this a place? Is this an organization? Is this a company that you want to be at? You may very well want to be there based on that answer. Or you may very well want to keep looking and go somewhere else based on that answer. This is just not an easy or comfortable topic. And as I said, the last step sometimes is to find another job. It's not always a happy ending, nor is it smooth riding to your happy ending, but this is all part of your reentry journey and coming away with it 
It'll make you stronger, sustainable, you'll enjoy it more, and you'll continue to remind yourself how great you are, despite, despite the cowards, the peanut gallery, the passive-aggressive folks, the Hunger Game folks, the pretend keyboard warrior gangsters that don't have a thing on you, don't have a thing on your faith, don't have a thing on your resilience, don't have a thing on your story. You know, I always want to thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for continuing to spread second chance coaching to your friends, family, and loved ones. I know we were late on programming, and usually this is when I say, thank you for joining us, and I look forward to spending time with you next week. But no, we're going to come right back with our 20th episode of the season tomorrow, on Sunday. <laughs> and then we will go on our midseason break, where our midseason break will we'll, um, take place, and then we'll resume episodes on March the 13th. But before we resume and go on our break, before we resume on March 13th and go on our break, we have, a, we have our 20th episode of the season. That'll be coming to you tomorrow, and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.